Thanks for listening to the Grace Life Podcast, where we want to know God, love people, and reach our world. What if you knew that the promise of something greater, something that would surpass all of your expectations, existed? Would you dare believe it? What would you sacrifice for it? We're in a series titled Sand and Stars, a look into the life of Abraham and living a life of great faith. Be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel. There you can find all our video messages as well as exclusive content you can't find anywhere else. Now, let's get into this week's message. Hey everybody, we're on part three of a series today. If you've missed any of it, it's online or on our app. Uh, We're doing a series called Sand and Stars, and our central character is a guy named Abraham. And uh, this was a guy who was 75 years old. He he was just wandering the earth because, well, that's who he was. He was a nomadic person. Uh, He had a barren wife. He didn't have many great dreams. He just thought this was the best life had for him. And God showed up and said, I'm going to blow your mind. I've got a plan for you that you could have never even imagined for yourself. And so in part one, we talked about how God has a good plan for your life. You are not just here because of biology. God created you and he has something for you. And then in part two, though, we talked about what comes next. If you know that God has a good plan for your life, it doesn't always come easily, right? Yeah, that was only one amen from last week. Boy, Daniel, you're with me, man. It's not always easy. Sometimes there is disappointment, always some unmet expectations, I'm going to tell you right now, as a pastor, I'm having the most fun in my life I have ever had. People ask me all the time, like, how you doing? You know, just walking down the hall. You know what we say when somebody says, how are you? We all say, fine. No, we say, fine. Who said that? No, we say fine. Because, and fine is just Southern pleasantry for you don't really want to know, right? If you stand there long enough, I'm going to tell you. But the best thing you can do is just keep walking. All right, good. Glad you're doing fine. You just kind of keep on walking. But everybody asks me right now, how are you doing? And my answer is great. Whoever said that a minute ago, that's what I'm saying. Super great. I mean, seriously, like I'm having more fun than I've ever had. The church is doing better than it's ever done. I've got the best staff around me that I've ever had. We're seeing more salvations than we've ever seen. Uh, I, I mean, I'm just excited. I'm like, this is what God told me this would be like, or at least this is what I thought it would be like like when God said, I want you to be a pastor. I thought, man, this would be awesome. But how many of you know it wasn't always like this? Some of you, how many of you were here when it wasn't like this? Come on, some of you, right? Daniel, you were, you were there with me, buddy, forever ago. And, and when I took over the church, when I took over as pastor of Grace Life, I literally had people, that was their last Sunday there. True story, man. Eight years ago, <laughs> funny stuff. We were bringing in less money than we spent. There was nothing I could do about it. We, we owed money to people, and yet we didn't have enough money coming in. I remember one Sunday, the only people there were on the worship team, the nursery team, and their spouses. That was it. Nobody else. And then when we finally did kind of get some traction and, and this was in our old building, we went to three services for the first time. This is not the first time we've had to keep adding services. And so we made this big plan, man, we're going to go to three services and we're going to reach the city. We're going to do amazing things. Anybody living here in 2015, the flood of the century. Yeah. And I'm like, seriously, God, like I'm trying to do something for you. This is for you. You could have made the rain start Sunday afternoon. Why Saturday night? God, aren't you on my side? Shouldn't you be good to me? Like, I mean, help me out. Little love here, God, you know? Come on, don't look at me all holy. Like y'all never, I know y'all do this. Like seriously, God, aren't you on my side? Come on, I'm one of your people, God. Aren't you on my side? Don't you do good stuff for me, not bad stuff. How many of us think God should do good for us? 
Don't be afraid. This is not a trick question. Come on, you're in church. We just sang he's a good God. How many of us expect God to do good stuff for us? Now put your hands down. Let me ask you another question. Why? Seriously, why? Let's pretend for a minute we're not in a Christian church. Let's, let's say that you start talking to an atheist at Walmart and, and you want to tell them that God is going to do good things for you if you follow God. Why? Where do you get the idea from that God is going to do good stuff? Because remember, we're, we're talking to an atheist and we're not in a Christian church. So I, I want you for a minute to just remove the ideas of God that you get from the Bible and try to answer this question. If you can't use the Bible, why do you think God is going to be good to us? If we look at history and, and we look at the, the idea of God all throughout history, let's just start for a moment. Again, you can't use the Bible and let's define God. We're probably going to come up with words like big, powerful, intelligent. Maybe you might even go all-knowing, all knows everything. Some of us, we may say he's creator. Some of us go, well, I don't know about that. You know, we've all got different ideas of what it means to be God. You guys with me, right? But would you put the word nice? Would you put the word good? Again, if you can't use the Bible. Matter of fact, if we were to look and go all throughout what we've ever learned about all of the little religions, all throughout human history, you will come across a phrase over and over and over. It's this phrase, appease the gods, because they're always angry and they're ready to strike humanity at any moment. I mean, like scary kind of stuff. And so why do we get the idea that God should be good to us? Why do we actually think that if we're doing the right thing, that our life should go well and God should bless us? The answer is, because the Bible tells us so. Now, look, I realize that is like the least popular thing you can say today. They even tell us as pastors, we're not supposed to say that anymore because most people don't care what the Bible says. Most people say, I don't know that I believe everything that's in the Bible. So to say the Bible tells us so is not really a good answer. But, but I grew up here in the South and I grew up going to vacation Bible school. How many of you know the song with me? Jesus loves me, this I know. For the Bible tells me so. There you go. Isn't it great? Everybody else is like, oh my God, what cult did I visit today? <laughs> they sing weird songs. Honey, pretend we're going to the bathroom. I'll meet you at the car. Just chill. We're not going to do that again. If you're a guest here today, glad to have you with us. We're not going to do that again. Just relax. Okay. But here's the thing. For the Bible tells us so. This is my point. Is, is we actually do need to realize nowhere else should we have the idea that God is going to be good to us. It actually started with Adam. God created Adam and Eve, put him in the garden. It was a wonderful place. Everything was perfect. They messed it up. And now suddenly we don't know that. And as we learned in part one, 19 generations later, this guy Abraham shows up and God says, okay, it's time to fix this. I want my people to know who I am. I want to have a people on the earth that I can show my goodness to that I can bless, and so that they can show that to the rest of the world. You see, actually the idea that you and I have every day, because we wake up every day and we expect good things. We get frustrated if it doesn't go the way we want it to go. We get, we just, there's just this internal like, life should be good, right? Come on, you guys. That comes from the God of the Bible. And it actually comes from Abraham. Now look, we're gonna do a very, very strange message today. I'm just gonna tell you that up front. So if I tell you that up front, maybe you'll be prepared for it. We're gonna do a huge passage. If you've ever been around Grace Life, a lot of times I'll say our, our passage today is just one sentence because sometimes one sentence in the Bible is enough to keep us going for a long time, right? Well, today what we need to talk about is a huge section of scripture, what God was telling Abraham. I'll go ahead and tell you, it's gonna be about two chapters. I'm not even gonna say much. I'm just gonna read the Bible. We're gonna read like half the Bible today. 
Y'all are here, two chapters, just y'all. Okay, so anyway, and if you're a linear person, do I have anybody who's really logical? You like everything in order, everything like you know, left to right, front to back, good. You people are gonna be real happy today, the rest of you, <laughs> just try to keep up. Because we're gonna, we're gonna do a journey, a very linear journey, one step and another step and another step, and we're gonna end somewhere that is so important for you and me today. Halfway along, you're gonna be like, why are we talking about this? Just stick with me to the end. Because here's the whole deal. Why are we talking about some dude that lived 4,000? years ago. It's 2019. We need to talk about what you do on Monday, right? Yes, we do. So if you will stick with me, we're going to start with Abraham and we're going to take a few steps and in about 30 minutes, you're going to find out why your life should be the way that it should be in 2019 for you when you walk out these doors. Are you guys okay with that? You trust me to get us there? Because we're going to have a strange moment in the middle. I'm just going to warn you about that one as we go. All right, if you've got your Bibles, we're at Genesis chapter 15, and we're picking up a part of Abraham's story. It says, after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. So two quick things. Number one, if you're here for the first time today, Abram is Abraham. His name has not been changed yet. He was Abram. When God began speaking to him, God will change his name. It's actually going to happen for us in just a few minutes. We're going to get to that passage today when we see his name changed, okay? Second thing, this began by saying, after these things, after these things, because we skipped a few chapters since last Sunday. Matter of fact, since last Sunday morning, a whole lot has happened in Abraham's life. We don't have time for all the story. I want you to be aware there's no way in six Sundays here that I'm giving you everything that happened between God and Abraham. That's why you get to read your own Bibles. Go, go and check it out. But here's some of the stuff that happened. Uh, Abraham's nephew, Lot, he got into a whole lot of trouble. Abraham had to get an army together, go rescue him. Abraham was greatly blessed by God. And Abraham decided in order to show how good God was that Abraham gave God a tenth of it back and invented the idea of tithing. Anybody doesn't like giving God 10% of your income, go back in time, slap Abraham. He messed it all up for you. <laughs> Just kidding. He seriously did start that. So here we go. Abram's response was, oh Lord God. What will you give me? For I continue childless. And the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, behold, you've given me no offspring and a member of my household will be my heir. What he's saying is I don't have a kid. It's my number one servant is going to get everything when I die. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. No, no, no. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And God brought him outside and said, look toward heaven and number the stars if you are able to number them, because so shall your offspring be. That's why we're calling this series Sand and Stars, because God told him, if you can count the sand or the stars, that's how many your descendants will be. And Abram believed the Lord, and God counted it to him as righteousness. If you've ever heard the story of Abraham, if you did grow up going to church or you've just ever been around this story, this is the most famous description of Abraham, is that he believed what God said to him. And because he believed what God said to him, it was credited to him as righteousness. Now, that's a big church word we don't use very often. So I'm just going to go ahead and simplify that for us. Righteousness essentially means right with God. You are right with God. You can stand and look him in the face and you're not going to get struck with lightning because you are right with God. And what's so cool about this moment is it foreshadows what you and I get. At this very moment, Abraham shows what God's going to do for his children, which is you don't have to get it all right on earth to be right with me. You don't have to pass an intelligence test to be right with me. You don't have to go to church so often to be right with me. No, 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 the only thing you have to do to be right with me is believe I am who I say I am 
and that I'll do what I say I'll do. Just believe me for who I am and then you're gonna be right with me. And it foreshadows the very thing that we have when God says, look, I'm gonna send my son. He's gonna die on the cross for you. I'm gonna raise him again. And that will provide for your forgiveness. If you will believe in my son, if you will believe in his death, if you'll believe in his resurrection and you will make that your own, your for- his forgiveness, his, his, his uh, righteousness will be yours and you'll be right with me. And that is how today we have what Abraham had in salvation by faith, not by works. Pretty cool, but there's more. God said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But Abram said, oh Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? Now look, I don't know about you, but like two sentences ago, he just believed God and God says, you are now right with me. You never have to worry again. You can stand in my face. You you and I were together for eternity. You are declared right with me because you believe me. And two sentences later, Abram's like, how can I know? Now, some people would say that he's like confused and he's, he's changing his mind. And I'm going to tell you, I don't believe so. Because I believe what's happening the first time God said, look, this guy, he's not going to be your heir. I'm going to give you your own son. Abraham is standing here thinking in his head, I'm old. My wife is old. My wife is barren. Good luck with that. If you're going to do it, you're going to do it. I can't do it. You're going to do it. But you know what? You've been good to me so far. I believe you. But now God says, you're going to possess the land. And I think Abraham's question at this point was, so what part do I have to do? Do I need to muster up an army and go get everybody out of the land? Do I need to take over the land? Is there a battle coming? I think he's actually trying to find out if God wants him to take a step. If he wants to do something, because he knows he couldn't do anything about the first one. The first one, all he could do is believe. And now he's saying, God, what's, what's the strategy? What do you want me to do? How can I know that I'm going to possess it? Anybody ever got a how can I know in their life? Like right now, you know, God has told you something for your life. You've got a vision. You've got a plan. But then there are those days. How can I actually know this is from God? How can I know God's going to do it? The answer to that is the same two things God is about to tell Abram. God's going to do two things, and they're, they're really both kind of strange. So you, you watch this right here. So God says to Abram, bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. Now, I don't know about you, but if I'm Abram at this point, I'm going, huh? Like, what does that got to do with how I can know I'm actually going to possess the land? You told me I would, but Abram does it. So he brought him all of these and he cut them in half and he laid each half over against the other, but he did not cut the birds in half. And when the birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. Wow. Anybody say really weird Bible story, right? Come on, you guys with me? Really weird Bible story. And so if that wasn't weird enough, we've got all of these dead animals chopped in half, head to tail, laying on the ground, bleeding everywhere. PG-13 message today, y'all. As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram, and behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Then the Lord said to Abram, know for certain, What did Abram ask? How can I know? God says, know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs and will be servants there. And they will be afflicted for 400 years. Excuse me, God, you were saying nice things a minute ago. You were making promises. I just asked how, and now you go getting all negative on me. Like seriously. 
But I will bring judgment on that nation that they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possession. As for you, Abram, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age. In other words, you're not going to see this happen. You're going to have a good life. You are going to have a son. I told you are going to have a son. You're going to have incredible descendants. They're going to go through some troubles, but you're not going to watch it. And God goes on to say, and they shall come back here in the fourth generation for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. Somebody say, weird Bible story. How do, who are the Amorites? What in the world is going on? So we've got God's people that we know are going to become the Israelites. They're going to go to Egypt. God's going to judge the Egyptians. And then there's these Amorites. What in the world is going on? Here's what God is saying. When Abram says, how can I know? God says, you can know because I own the future. I own the future. You're going to go to sleep. You're going to die. You're going to have a great life, but you're going to have kids. Those kids, they're going to go down to Egypt. They're going to be there and be afflicted, be servants, but don't worry. I'm going to bless them on the way out with more stuff than they can carry. They're going to come back to this land. And finally, they're going to take over this land by getting rid of the Amorites who are some evil people upon the earth. But I'm going to use your people to deal with that evil, but they're not done being evil. And I'm still watching. And since I know all of that and I'm in charge of all of that, then you can trust what I say. My kids do the same thing. I've got one kid. How can I know? How can I know? He, just all the time. I'll say, we're going to Carowinds on Friday. And he's going to say, how can I know? Are we going to, how do you know? What are we doing? And he literally goes to Alexa, Alexa, what's the weather going to be on Friday? I want to slap him. I don't care what Alexa has to say. I own the future. At least until you get older. It's my car. I say, get in my car. I'm in charge of where the car goes. If the car goes to Carowinds, I'm in charge of the car going to Carowinds. If I have already arranged my schedule to know I'm going to Carowinds on Friday, I know my kids are going with me. You can believe me because I own your future. And this is what God is telling Abram. Do you hear the details, buddy? I can tell you everything that's going to happen in your life and your children's life for 400 years. This is how you can know because I own the future. You see, we can trust God because God owns the future. Anybody remember those dead animals? <laughs> it's a weird Bible story, isn't it? Thank you, God, for like the whole fortune telling a moment there. But what, what are the dead animals over here? When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. And on that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram. All right, we're going to have a nerd moment, so just stay with me. Covenant is a word that we don't really use in our world. We like using the word contract. Contract is easier. If you want phone service, you sign a contract. And if you want to buy a piece of land, you sign a contract. You see, contracts say, I'm going to do something, you're going to get something. Uh, you're going to give me phone service, I'm giving you money. I'm getting the land, you're getting money. We sign contracts. And as long as everybody does what they're supposed to, the contract stays in place. If one person does not do what they're supposed to, the contract is erased. If you do not pay your phone bill, they're no longer going to give you service. The contract is gone. But the word covenant is a promise that cannot be broken. It doesn't really matter what the other person does. It was a promise that was made and you're supposed to go into a covenant with, with great fear and reverence because you don't get out of it just because the other person didn't do their part. And so here's the way that a covenant was established back then. You would take an animal and you would cut it in half. Anybody see the story? But you would cut it in half, head to tail, and then lay the two halves down. 
So if you can imagine right here on stage, I was actually going to bring two of my daughter's little stuffed animals to demonstrate and lay them on the stage and walk between them. But I thought some of you would have nightmares every time you see little pink things with big bulging eyes, you know, like anyway, because we're talking about cutting them up and bleed. So anyway, never mind. I I didn't do it. You're going to have to imagine with me. And so from head to tail, we've got the right side of the head, the right front leg, the right back leg, and the right half of the tail. And over here, we've got the left side of the head, the left front leg, the left back leg, the left side of the tail. I told you it was going to get weird in the middle. Just stick with me, right? Okay. And so here's what they would do, though. As you cut these animals in that way, the blood was tremendous. It was everywhere. So if you can imagine with me, there are two kings. We're just going to, you would do covenants for all kinds of reasons. In this case, we're going to say there's two kings. And so I'm a king and I own this little country here and you're a king and you own that little country there. But over here is another king with a bigger country and we're afraid of him. And so I, as king, I come to this king and say, here's the deal. If that guy comes against you, he will wipe you out. And if that guy comes against me, he will wipe me out. So make a covenant with me. And the covenant is, if he comes against you, I will come to your rescue. And if he comes against me, you will come to my rescue because the two of us together are bigger and stronger than him. And as soon as he hears there's a covenant, he's not messing with us. But you've got to come to my aid. I'll come to your aid. So the two kings agree. We're going to make a promise to each other. So here's what they would do. Are you guys with me? Right? So we got these animals, dead animals here, two halves. And so they would have these long flowing robes and they'd have these tassels at the bottom. And they would each begin to walk a figure eight all the way around and between each animal piece. You guys with me? And so all of that blood that's all over the ground as they walk that figure eight in between the two halves is getting all over their robes. They've got blood and dirt from here all the way down. And when they finish doing the figure eights and both of them have done it, they take off the robe and they give it to the other king. And then someday when their nation gets invaded, the king takes that robe and he sends it over and says, remember your robe covered with that blood? Now get your army over here. Unbreakable promise. You couldn't say, I've changed my mind. No, you couldn't do that. It was an unbreakable promise for life. You would never, actually not even for life, for generations after that. It was an unbreakable promise between these two nations. You would go from king to king to king. You were now allies. And here's the cool thing. When you were doing a covenant, two equals would both walk the figure eight because the two equals were making a promise to each other, two kings. Two guys, maybe two guys saying, well, I'm going to give you this land. You're going to give me that land. Okay, and here we go. We walk the figure eight. It's your land. I can never get it back kind of thing. Two equals would walk and make the covenant. But did you notice who walked this figure eight? Abram didn't. God didn't tell Abraham. to. God, God said, Abraham, you just sit here and watch. And suddenly the presence of God in a smoking pot and a flaming torch. That would have been cool, right? Just, to, I don't know about y'all, but when a flaming torch starts floating in the air in front of me, doing a figure eight between some animals, I'm paying attention. The presence of God alone walked the covenant path, establishing the promise to Abraham. Abraham, this is what I'm gonna do for you, and that's the end of it. I'm doing it. You were 75 years old. You had zero expectation. You have a barren wife. I am giving you a son. I want to build a people upon the earth. I'm going to do it through you. Not because you were good, not because you were cool, not because you were smart, not because you had a great beard. Nope, nothing, nothing, man. I'm doing it because I am God. This is my promise. And you can't do anything about my promise, only me. God's second answer to Abram, how can I know? Because you can trust me to do what I promise. You see, you can't always expect God to do what you want. 
but you can always believe God to do what he has promised you. And his word is filled with promises of things he said for you. And the number one, think about this. We talked about it when we did communion. Why does communion always have that cracker and that juice? Well, as she explained, because Jesus said, this is what you do to remember me. And he said, this wine represents my blood that was shed for the new covenant. You see, Jesus alone shed his blood to establish that covenant, dying on the cross, being raised again, not about what you and I do. You don't get to go to heaven because of the number of times you go to church. You go to heaven because Jesus died and rose again. I mean, come on, y'all, are you getting how awesome this is that God walked that figure eight and made that promise to Abraham? And you and I today are saved and going to heaven because we also simply believe Jesus is who he says he is and will do what he has done for us. I mean, come on, that's it. And we get to be right with God, just like Abraham got righteousness with God. Now, here's the deal. If you want to, you can go to lunch right now. If you believe that, if that's the disposition of your heart and you know that Jesus is your king and you know that God is who he is, who he says he is, and he'll do what he says he'll do, you're going to heaven, go to lunch, have a nice day. But there is a whole lot more. Who's glad they're going to heaven? Who wants something on earth before you get there? Come on, give me some hands. Who wants something on earth before you get there? Who wants everything that God planned for you during your time on earth? Who wants to be blessed? Who wants to wake up every day and have a good God do good things in your life until you get to heaven? Somebody? (laughs) Then let's finish the story. Chapter 17, for those of you following along, somewhere between 13 and 20 years later, y'all just let that sink in for a minute. Somewhere between 13 and 20 years after that moment, after the flaming torch goes around between those, those animals, after God tells him his future, God goes silent on him for like 13 to 20 years. We know it's a minimum of 13. I'm not going to bore you with how, but we don't know the exact number. But we know that chapter 12 was 24 years ago, and he took a trip to Egypt. So somewhere between 13 and 20 years. Do you all know his pain? How many of you know his pain? God came to you and said, here's what I'm going to do. And then it looks like God dropped off planet Earth. Come on, you all know how we pray? Come on, God, I prayed yesterday. What's your issue? Get down here and do something. You are a good God. I need you. I prayed yesterday. It's been 24 hours. I've waited a whole day. We are so impatient. Let me tell you something. I was 16 years old when God told me I would do what I'm doing today. Anybody want to guess how old I was when I started doing what I'm doing today? 20 years later. 20 years later. If there has been a significant time gap between God's promise to you and the fulfillment of it on earth, you are in good company because that's what God did with Abraham. Sometimes God's timetable is not ours. Again, you can't always expect God to do what you want, but you can always expect him to do what he promised. And so when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Ooh, that's a good introduction. Walk before me and be blameless that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. Finally, finally. I mean, you showed up like in chapter 12, 24 years ago. You said you're gonna do this. Go check out the land. I did, I saw the land. It was cool, thank you. And then nothing, famine. Had to go somewhere and get some food, seriously. And then then you just came back a few years later. You did this whole floating torch and smoking pot thing, cut the animals in half. (laughs) Different kind of smoking pot. That didn't sound good, did it? (laughs) We're going to have to edit that for the next service. (laughs) 
I can't continue. (laughs) And you've been making promise after promise after promise. And then finally, finally, for the first time in, in, in 24 years, you're actually going to do something. My circumstances on earth are actually going to change. Are you? Then Abram fell on his face. Yeah, that's a pretty good response, don't you think? And God said to him, behold, my covenant, my promise, my promise is with you. And you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. Because that was my promise from the beginning. It's exactly what I said. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be called Abraham. For I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. This is where it happens. And you see in the same chapter, we're not going to read all of it for the sake of time, but Sarai, his wife, becomes Sarah. That's how we know them as Abraham and Sarah is because of what happens in this chapter. You see, multiple times throughout Scripture, God changes someone's name to say, who you were before me is not who you are after me, and I need the world to know that. Because here's the deal. Abram was a wanderer with no land to call his own and a barren wife. Abraham was the father of nations and the owner of the promised land. Come on, do y'all see the difference? I have a friend of mine that actually changed his given name. When I met him, he was Brad. To this day, I call him Ben. His legal given name has changed to Ben because he believes that what God did in him, it just had to represent different. He was no longer a Brad, he became a Ben. And maybe what God's gonna do in you, you need to change your actual given name to represent something. Don't do it today, it's Mother's Day. She gave you that name, man. That would just be disrespectful. <laughs> Changing on Monday. In all seriousness, here's the deal, is our identity has to change. You see, you had friends who knew you before you were following God, and they knew you as the person who laughed at those inappropriate jokes. They knew you as the person who made sexist comments. They knew you as the person who told the crude jokes. They knew you as the person who didn't mind orchestrating a crooked business deal. That's, that, whatever the example is, they knew. If you're a teenager, they knew you as the one who would cheat on the math test as long as it got you the right grade. But now that you're following God, you've got to become someone different. And there's a difference between Abram And Abraham, Abram is a man waiting on God to do something. Abraham is the one who's been blessed by God and he's showing up in his life. I will make you exceedingly fruitful and I will make you into nations and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant. Wow, those are powerful words, everlasting covenant. Covenant means unbreakable promise. Everlasting means forever. How many of you want God to make a forever unbreakable promise in your life? Anybody? Well, you're gonna get one. It's called salvation. I'm gonna tell you how in a minute. He says, to be your God and to your offspring after you, and I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession, meaning it's yours forever. If you wonder why they fight over it so much today, that's why. They stand on this scripture and say, it's ours. God gave it to us and we're going to get it back. And God says, I will be their God. And God said to Abraham, as for you, boom. You knew it was coming at some point, didn't you? You know, at some point, if God's going to do all of this, he's going to say, but I want something from you. Just a little something. As for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your offspring after you throughout their generations. 
this is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. And everybody is on the edge of their seat before they put the next slide up saying, what is God about to ask? What is God going to want from him? Like we're on the edge of our seat. Like when you all saw Avengers and you're waiting on Iron Man to show up and rescue the world. It's like, no Avengers fans in here? Seriously? Here's what God told him. Every male among you shall be circumcised and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. <laughs> I have it written into my notes to praise you for not acting like middle school children. <laughs> See, as a youth pastor, I could never preach this passage. Y'all supposed to be adults here. See, all of this brings us back to the question, because seriously, Jimmy, you said it was going to get weird. This is a little weird than I expected it to get. Why are we talking about that in church on Sunday morning? It's 2019. You said this would be relevant to my life. Let me explain. Why can we expect God to do good to us? It's because of a scripture that is so often misquoted. We say it like this. We know that God causes everything to work together for good. That's not what it says. It actually says, we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. You see, here's the truth I need you to know today. All things don't work together for the good of planet Earth. It's going to pass away according to Scripture, and God's going to create a new one. Now, I recycle because I don't know how long we're supposed to take care of this one. Hopefully as long as we can, but we're going to get a new one. All things don't work together for good. We've messed it up a bit, and the enemy did too. All things don't work together for the good of those who hate God. And you may say, I don't hate God. Well, when we talk about loving God in Scripture, it means someone who would say he's their father, they are his children, they obey his commands, they worship him, and Jesus is their Lord and Savior. Some of us have yet to make that commitment. And I need you to know the truth. I'm, I'm very sorry to tell you this, but it is true. All things don't work together for your good. If you are not yet one of God's children by the blood and resurrection of Jesus Christ, there is no expectation for you to wake up tomorrow and believe God's going to do good for you. It certainly isn't in the Bible. It's not in the Quran. It's not in the Torah. And it's not in the history book. No. Nope. We can only expect God to do good for those who are his children. So let me show you this verse. And now that you belong to Christ, I'm going to throw in the word if. And now if you belong to Christ, if you've made an exchange that says, Jesus, thank you that you died for me. I want to live for you. If that's the case, then you are the true children of Abraham. You are his heirs. And God's promise to Abraham, well, it's yours. It's yours. Who wants God's promise to Abraham to be blessed? To be a blessing, to be a blessing to everyone else. To be blessed by God for God to do good. How many of you want that? See, here's the thing. We all want the promise, but every promise comes with a sign. Let me explain what I mean. This right here, it's a sign. It's a sign of a covenant that I've made with my wife. It's a promise. It's an unbreakable promise. And I wear it everywhere. Matter of fact, I wore my first wedding ring, only one wife, but first wedding ring for 20 years, couldn't get it off because it was the wrong size. It took me an hour and a half to get it on after our wedding and it never came off. 
until I almost lost my finger in an accident and it had to be cut off. And so after that, for a little while, I, I didn't have a ring. And, and so I ordered one of those squishy things on Amazon you could put on and, and it took a little while to get there and they were annoying so I forgot to wear them sometimes and my wife got started to get upset about it. So I'd like to go to the gym, be working out without a ring. And I'm thinking, thanks honey. Appreciate the compliment that, you know, I would be working out at the gym and she'd be worried. I assure you, when I work out at the gym, she needs not be worried. I mean, I'm benching the bar. And when I'm laying on the bench, this is what is the highest point of my body, you know? Honey, don't you worry. But here's the point. This is a sign of the covenant. Anybody who sees, and she wants to make sure somebody sees, I've got boundaries. You see, when you've got a promise, you've got boundaries. You change your decisions, you change your actions, everything changes. This, this means something. Matter of fact, in this day and age, you need this more than you've ever needed it. I know sometimes, guys, it's like out of fashion to wear one of these. I, maybe I'm going to try to push for sales of wedding rings tomorrow. I, I think you need one of these more than ever because there needs to be a sign of the promise in your life. Now, here's the deal. In the Old Testament, the sign of the promise of being one of God's children was circumcision. It was a surgical procedure. And so hopefully you're asking the question, as I get to where I told you I was going to get to, you and me today, 2019, what is the sign of the promise that God has for us today? Read this. And the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring so that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, that you may live. You see, the sign that you are one of God's children, it's not a ring on your finger, and it's not a surgical procedure. It's a change to your heart. Because Jesus said, everything we do, everything we think, everything we want, every action, every attitude, it it doesn't come from out there. Matter of fact, religious people were were fussing at Jesus for how he lived. Because they're like, you can't touch that, it'll make you dirty. You can't eat that, it'll make you dirty. You you gotta, he said, no, it doesn't come from out there. It comes from right here. And that's why God is gonna change this thing right here. And so my challenge for us today, the truth is, it's not my challenge, it's God's challenge for us today. Our challenge today, we can only believe that God should do good in our lives because we are children of the promise. And every promise comes with a sign. My challenge is to show the world the sign of the promise. What that's gonna look like is that everything that comes out of here has to show every person out there that he's your father, that you are a child of Abraham, you're a child of God. You've gotta show the world that you are as different as Abram and Abraham now that you know who God is in your life. You see, if you're a teenager and somebody says, hey, just tell your parents that you're, you're at my house and, and we'll, we'll go and do something else. You need to say no. Because when you say no, it is a sign of the promise. I can't do that. See, I'm a child of the king. And my boundaries are different. My attitudes are different. My decision-making is different. 
When a coworker comes to you and says, hey, can we have drinks after work of a different gender? Your answer is no, because I'm a child of the promise. And when I say no to you, it's a sign. When you decide to put God first in your finances and you say yes, it's a sign. Every yes, every no, every attitude, everything that comes out of us, every word we say is a sign to the world that we can expect God to do good because we're his. What I wanna do is pray for anyone today who is struggling to show a sign to the world. Can we just be honest for a minute? It is really easy to sit in this room with a whole bunch of other people who are all going to heaven and to talk about how cool it is to be a Christian, how cool it is to be going to heaven. But it's another thing to walk out these doors and when somebody says something, to not laugh at that joke, to say no to that proposition, to say yes to a very hard opportunity. That's a completely different thing. And the truth is, this world is so hurting because they're looking for a sign that there is a God in heaven who wants to do good and they can't find it. Two billion of his children walk in the earth and they can't find the sign. That's wrong. It's not the way it's supposed to be. We're the carriers of the promise. The only way the world is ever going to know is what you and I show them. Because we're going to carry a sign of the promise with every word we speak, everything we do. Can I pray for you? God, I thank you for every person in this room. I thank you for those who would call themselves your children they would say, God is my father. Jesus is my brother who died on the cross for me. He rose again. I'm forgiven and I'm right with God simply because of your promise to me, God. But God, my prayer for those people is that they would be able to boldly proclaim the sign of that promise in their lives, that when they walk out these doors and enter the rest of the world, they'd be able to show the world a father in heaven who wants to do good to his children, to people of the promise, that we'd be able to be bold with our yeses and bold with our noes, whatever it takes for us to show that we are a child of the King. God, I pray by your spirit, you will empower us to make the right decisions, that you will continue to work on our hearts, that out of our hearts will flow a love for you and a sign that we are loved by you. I want to finish by talking to those of you if we just stay in an attitude of prayer I told you that all things don't work together for good for those who have yet to make Jesus their king there's no promise for things to be good for you but you can change that right now you see we can all recognize Jesus died on the cross and rose again but at some point in history and for you that might be Mother's Day 2019 and you need to look at Jesus hanging on that cross look at his face and say thank you that you died for me and now I want to live for you. If you've never done that, I want to help you do that right now. You don't have to stand up. You don't have to come down front. Just continue praying and say something like this to yourself and to God. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you died for me. And now I want to live for you. I thank you that you love me. 
I thank you that I'm forgiven. In my simple prayer today, fill me with your spirit and give me a life of great meaning in your kingdom. Amen. Let's celebrate with those people. Amen. Thank you for joining us for this week's message. If you've made the decision to follow Jesus, congratulations. It's the best decision you'll ever make. If you've been impacted in any way, we'd love to hear about it. Head over to gracelife.church resources where you can share your story and find other tools for following Jesus. We hope you go out and make Jesus famous in your world.